0: This episode of Industry Focus is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com slash full. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, September the 18th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host Shannon Jones and I am joined by healthcare guru Todd Campbell Todd how's it going over there
1: it's going good you know I don't know what time we're gonna air the show but it is Fed day today oh, and uh, so I've been killing the whole morning just <laughs> eagerly waiting everybody's predictions on uh, on Twitter about what the Fed may do and what the impact may be today today for
0: exactly yeah a lot happening last night. Um, A lot of predictions today here. There may be some things happening tonight, too, so a lot to uncover. We won't unpack that on today's show, though, because we've got more to unpack. Uh, We're going to be diving into the peanut allergy wars uh, with an update from a company that just had an FDA panel last Friday, and we're wading into the murky waters of vaping. That's right. We're going to be talking about what's going on with vaping, uh, what are some of the headlines that are out there, and what that could mean for a lot of these cannabis-based businesses right now. Uh, So, Todd, let's kick things off with something we briefly queued up in last week's show. That was... AIM Immune Therapeutics, that's ticker symbol AIMT. Uh, last Friday, September the 13th, the company had a chance to plead its case for regulatory approval for its drug AR101 or Palforzia, a treatment hoping to make it across the finish line to approval for adolescents with peanut allergies. Um, and Todd, this was important because AR101 is an immunotherapy, but it's not necessarily new. It's really about the delivery of this immunotherapy that is new. Um, I think before we dive into what happened with the panel though, can you just explain for our listeners out there who may not be familiar, what exactly is AR101 and why is this such a huge opportunity for this company right now?
1: Over the past seven years or so, allergists are starting to treat patients increasing with uh, desensitization. So essentially they, in case of peanut allergies, they would take peanut flour in microdoses, small doses. And then in their office, they would give them increasingly more just to see whether or not they could desensitize that patient to um, any exposure, excess exposure they may have to peanuts. There have been some studies that have backed up um, that this is a good idea, that it can be successful. And what Immune's doing is they are standardizing this approach. So no longer will it be, you know, each allergist kind of. Ferreting out how much to give in each dose, there'll be doses that patients will give their kids or their kids will take uh, every day of um, basically the proteins that cause the allergic reaction that are found in peanuts. So it standardizes this whole desensitization process through an oral daily dose. But I do want to say right up front, this is not a cure, and you know you have to always be very very careful when it comes to um exposures what the, this is the idea here is not to eliminate the risk but to reduce the risk so that if you do get accidentally your child does get accidentally exposed to peanuts they're not having a violent going into anaphylactic shock or having a violent reaction
0: yes yeah, such a great point um and this is a treatment option Um, one of several that they have to try to build up basically their tolerance. So it's basically a a pill that's packed with peanut protein. Um, You mentioned, of course, I mean, you can do the allergy shots. Um, For some patients and for their parents... They've also been trying to do this at home and kind of a homebrew style where they've been trying to actually desensitize their child to the peanut allergy on their own. So I think for a lot of patients, especially the ones that I guess are more susceptible to accidental exposure, um, that's very dangerous because there's no medically validated process that they're following. They're really just trying to do something, anything that they can. Um, And so I think When you look at peanut allergy treatments, um, this company has one. It's an oral pill. There's another company called DVB Technologies that's got a peanut allergy patch that's attempting to do the same thing. At the end of the day, I think these are really parents who are looking for some sort of option to reduce the risk related to accidental exposure and that's the key. It's not a cure. It's about making sure that as a parent, um, I know that my child can go to school and I don't have to worry as much about them being exposed to any sort of protein, peanut protein powder that could be in the air or in the food that they're eating.
1: Right. There's about 1.6 million uh, U.S. kids and teens that are estimated to, to suffer from peanut allergies. The, about 1.25 million have been diagnosed with it. And the annual occurrence or incidence rate of accidental exposure ranges between 12 and 15 percent let's call it depending on what study you're looking at so there is a real risk obviously for children to get exposed to it they do say that you know as you get older uh peanut allergies get easier for uh, people to 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 deal with those kind of accidental um, exposures but when you're young much more difficult and you know i think it's not a tremendous of people who pass away because of this. But, you know, sadly, there's about 100 deaths per year caused by food allergies. And, you know, that's enough to make any parent a little bit anxious and, and obviously wanting to seek out what will hopefully be, be a better solution. And that, of course, was what the FDA convened their advisory panel to help them ferret out. Is uh, this new option better? Exactly. Then say your typical in-office visit with an allergist who's helping you um, get desensitized to it.
0: Exactly, and just for our listeners who may not be familiar, the FDA Advisory Committee, it's a basically a panel of experts plus some patient advocates that come together when there are questions about a drug's safety or efficacy. Um, and it's really designed as a chance to go through the scientific data to really mesh out those questions, is this a drug that we would recommend approval to the FDA for, one that we think the risk to benefit profile, risk to um, safety benefit profile is favorable for that particular um, drug? So the FDA is by no means bound to whatever these panels ultimately recommend, um, but typically the FDA will tend to go online, but that's not always the case. Let's talk about some of the data, though, that they were reviewing. So they had um, actually a couple of phase three trials. And in the Palisade trial, they tested the treatment AR-101 against placebo in 555 patients aged 4 to 55. Um, Of course, the target demographic here is really the children and adolescents. That's where the company is trying to gain approval. Um, And these were kids who couldn't tolerate 100 milligrams or less of peanut protein. And for context, a single peanut actually contains about 300 milligrams. So these patients were given a higher dose of the treatment basically every two weeks until they reached a maintenance dose of 300 milligrams. After a year, about two-thirds of the patients, about 67% of the original intent-to-treat group, could tolerate 600 milligrams of peanut protein. And that's huge. And that's about two peanuts compared to 4% of patients who received placebo. So we saw... The data support um, really what the company was hoping to see, that this was not only having, um, you know, a a benefit on the scientific level, but there was a clinical outcome that was associated with this that was favorable. But that's not to say, though, it wasn't without its own risk and some safety concerns, too.
1: Right. So not to bury the lead any further, the FDA adcom did come out voting in favor of recommending approval of this new drug by seven to two vote the two that uh that went against it maybe they were the ones who had some concerns over some of the safety uh issues that are associated with this therapy and i think it's important because you know we need to understand that there's two sides to some of these coins right so yes in the trial they did indeed um allow you know the average patient was able to to be exposed to more Protein than they would have otherwise been um, okay to deal with, however, you had a very high dropout rate in the trial. I think twenty one percent of people discontinued um, the th- therapy, um, which which suggests that you know they weren't able to tolerate it. It didn't work on a secondary measure. granted it was so it was just a secondary measure, but it didn't work with adults. Uh, you did see the benefit in kids. But you also had a higher incidence rate when it comes to safety. You had a higher uh, incident rate of adverse effects in the group that was taking this drug versus the people who were not taking this drug. And I think that's, you know, that's something that parents are going to have to figure out. Now they're just going to have to figure out, Okay, you had 9.4 percent of the subjects who took the drug had a systematic allergic reaction during the initial dose escalation and during updosing and that was a lot bigger than the 3.8% of people who had a had a reaction in the placebo group so there was a lot of debate in wondering ahead of this adcom how are they going to view this safety issue versus the efficacy and the per, per, uh, potential to reduce the 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 need for drastic intervention like hospitalization and you know i think the solution there they are going to come up with because they did vote on a on a safety on a safety vote eight to one in favor of uh instituting a risk management program we've talked about this in the past so the call the abbreviation is rems r-e-m-s risk evaluation mitigation strategy and what it's going to do is it's going to require that you know everybody says hey yeah we're going to get a we're going to have epinephrine available we're going to have that available at all times and you know, you're going to have to have these initial doses and the escalating doses handled within specific locations that can deal with a severe allergic reaction. So as a result, this drug will launch with a black box, black box warning. And a black box warning for people who are new to healthcare, typically not what you want to necessarily have on, on a drug, because it, it does kind of raise the, raise the stakes, if you will, in wondering whether or not this is is going to be the right option for, for you or your child.
0: Exactly. And I think that's really the question uh, right now for a lot of investors who've been following this company is like, what is the commercial viability given the REMS overhang? And I, I do think that the REM strategy makes sense. Again, it's really about being in a medically validated process and someone who is comfortable and well-educated on the risk and knows how to identify a lot of those allergic reaction symptoms. So I think it's, it's smart, but it does create an extra hurdle that a lot of these parents will have to go through um, for their children. So um, I think the other question that came up during the panel as well is like, well, what about long-term safety data? We don't have that For this process, Um, the company does have a long term safety study. I think about 90% of the patients that were enrolled in the phase three trial have enrolled into this follow up study. So that will be a longer term study that will certainly circle back on and keep everyone up to date. Um, But I mean, I think with the REMS overhang. You've also got competition. Um, I have seen some estimates for where sales could be for this company kind of slashed in half. I've seen anywhere from $650 million to $1.2 billion. So, I mean, I think there's just a wide range, a lot of question marks, and we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out on the commercial level.
1: Right. It could cost thousands of dollars per year. I mean, I think that the, I saw some estimates that said that if you're just having allergists do this on their own with protein power, maybe your out of pocket costs are are exceeding five grand a year, so maybe that you could say that yes, there's a value opportunity here, maybe this would justify a price tag that's that's meaningful, and then you know obviously, if you can get x percentage of of allergists and and patients onto this onto this medication, then you have a nice recurring stream of revenue because you know I, I know that we don't have the long-term data for this particular drug but they have done some follow-up studies and just in the desensitization overall and what they've discovered is that yeah you kind of lose that um, ability I mean you got to so it sounds looks like this is gonna be something that someone would have to take well throughout their adolescence and and beyond it's probably not something you could just take for two years then expect that that's going to take you from 10 years old to 18 years old um, I'm staying on the sidelines on this one right now, Shannon. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and see how this other trial plays out. I'm gonna wait and see, you know, what what allergists really say, and you know, what the prescription trends look like, and what the payers say about uh, covering it.
0: Exactly. I'm gonna be on the sidelines for this one too. Um, I know uh, DVB Technologies has had its own issues. They had to uh, withdraw. They voluntarily withdrew their application to the FDA due to some manufacturing and quality issues, but. When I think about it from a parent's perspective, would I rather go the route of an allergy injection, a pill or a patch? I'm going to go for what's most convenient and what I think is going to be safest for my child. So I think I want to watch some of the competitive dynamics play out. Um, So a, a lot to watch here, but we'll certainly keep all of our listeners up to date. And on the other side of the break, we're going to talk vaping and the cannabis space. But first, a quick word from our friends at NetSuite. It's true even here at The Motley Fool. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. You've got one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's just a big inefficient mess, taking up way too much time and too many resources. And that hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It basically gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, HR, you name it, and all instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash fool. Again, that's netsuite.com slash fool to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash fool. All right, our next story um, isn't necessarily about any one company, but rather the headlines and the stories that could impact many companies within the cannabis space. And that's all about vaping. Um, Todd, there's been a lot of alarming headlines over the last several weeks, some related to e-cigarettes, which we'll get into, others related to vaping cannabis products. Um, So alarming, in fact, health officials, even the Trump administration now calling for more investigations, potentially even a ban on certain types, really At the end of the day, the goal is to figure out what's happening and also to make sure it does not happen moving forward. So, Todd, a lot to unpack with a lot of these vaping stories. But before we get into what we're seeing for the kids at home, really probably more the adults at home. I think kids already know what vaping is. But for the adults out there, what exactly is vaping?
1: Yeah, not encouraging, Shannon, that they haven't quite nailed down what it is that's causing these um, these headlines to be. Yes, to, to happen these deaths and these illnesses. I think it's important for every parent listener, whatever. I mean, I have a teenage son, sixteen, and you know, sure enough, we're kind of wrestling with some of these problems here in our household as well. Um, but yeah, to to give you a little background, what we're talking about is inhaling and exhaling a vapor that get produced by an e-cigarette, an electronic type device um, that usually features a mouthpiece. It has a battery, and then it has like a cartridge. They would contain an e-liquid or an e-juice or a concentrate or something and then that gets heated by the battery by the device the power so that you create the vapor which you then inhale and exhale these products have been around these vaporizers have been around for a while i think you know probably 2007 2008 but it really kind of has exploded in use in the last i don't know five or whatever years as one company in particular jewel Uh, launched a USB looking device that um, has really made it very simple easy to use with a lot of product behind it that you know was attractive to people Uh, rather than going in and getting a cigarette that you would smoke to get your nicotine or to buy um, marijuana and uh, either legally or illegally and smoke it that way these devices provide an opportunity to do it in call it more a controlled fashion with less less mess less um, less smoke less smell you know it's just a more effective I guess delivery device originally when vaporizers came on the scene the idea the goal here was that it would be a smoking alternative so that you smoke cigarettes and you'd say okay well I want to quit but I don't want to give up nicotine right away well this would be another option because you know cigarette smoking cigarettes has its own set of much more substantial risks theoretically because there's so many different chemicals and stuff that go into the making of these cigarettes and obviously this long-term data that shows us just how unhealthy bad for you uh, smoking cigarettes is unfortunately now though as you said widespread use and now we're starting to see some health issues cropping up and um and yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem, obviously for for Juul and the makers of these different vaporizers and vaping components. Like Kushco comes to mind, which is simple K S H B there, um, you know. And for really for the cannabis companies themselves, because a lot of people are using these uh, vapes to smoke cannabis-based products. And in Canada, later on this year, for the first time, um, a lot of these products are beginning to become available. So all eyes are basically on on what's going on for multiple reasons, not just from the healthcare perspective, but also from an investment's perspective.
0: Exactly. And so there's so many right now, I guess, opinions as to what could be causing this. Um, I've read some reports that it could be vitamin E, and specifically a vitamin E oil, that when you are vaping it, it gets into your lungs and causing almost what is like a chemical pneumonia. Um, and so there's that potential. It could be the device. It could be the contaminants. Uh, There was a study done in California where they found metals in certain products. So I think it's a function of we don't know what's actually causing this. Now you have more people using it. And so we're starting to hear more reports about it. But there's also, too, the illegal market on the cannabis side, Um, because this is an unregulated space. Um, There are consumers who can go into dispensaries, who can go into stores, pick up some of these vape cartridges, um, think they're getting something legit, but they could actually be getting counterfeit. Um, There is out on the street something called K2 or Spice, which is basically synthetic marijuana, um, which is extremely dangerous. But the problem is a lot of these consumers have no idea. A lot of these counterfeiters can actually print off labeling and packaging and it looks just like the legit licensed product that people are used to, used to seeing. So in that regard, I think because you don't have enough regulation, now you see problems with that. Now it's this murky area where people can just you know, literally in their backyard create these products and people don't know what it is that they're getting. For me, um, as I look at this space, both you know, as, a, as a parent, as a consumer, and as someone who follows the cannabis space, I think this is really an opportunity for companies that have high quality standards, that have high consistency standards, that have independent third party labs test and that can be verified. I think it creates an advantage for them and for those companies. You mentioned Cushco. Uh, Cushco just signed a deal recently um, to try to basically stamp out some of the counterfeit players, too. So I think it creates some opportunity. But by and large, Todd, I mean, it's still a massive overhang. Had a chance to interview a CEO just yesterday in the cannabis space who said he's very concerned.
1: And I think there should be rightfully so, right? I mean, this this if people start worrying, worrying about the safety about vaping, and you've got to remember, a lot of people, you know, are, when it comes to these legal states, um, vaping has a, it represents a fairly large proportion, second largest way of consuming um um marijuana products behind just like the dried flour so this is a significant part of the market representing billions and billions of dollars of additional sales you know i mean right now in canada for example you've got a six billion uh illegal plus legal six billion canadian market right and of of that right now you're still at i think 20 percent or so roughly that's legal once they roll out edibles and basically derivative products you know, people are estimating that that is going to ex- cause that market to explode to 11 billion, which on a percentage basis is huge, right? So there's a huge amount of money that's at stake and vaping having represented such a large proportion of what we've seen in, in Colorado and what we've seen in, in places like California. Um, <clears throat> any kind of pushback that reduces, I guess, the, the attractiveness of, of using those devices um, could, could pose a, a headwind to everybody's future sales forecast. I think it's a great move on Kushko's part. To go out there and, and ink this deal authentication is huge you're right people are going there i mean you've got probably have uh, people working in the black market they're bringing in you know containers full of fraudulent fake packaging it looks less like you said the real thing uh, i think they just made an arrest in wisconsin not that long ago and they walk in there and that the stuff in the closet looks almost like it came right from a regular dispensary i think the takeaway there is that. If you're in a legal state or you have access to buying in a legal state, it seems like those products uh, haven't cropped up as much in this conversation um, because there already are some quality standards. You already are going through some steps to make sure that the products on those shelves are safe. And maybe the, ultimately the way to solve the problem would be federal legalization so that everybody is working under that same that same guys i mean i i don't know the last time i went out and actually made moonshine right i go to the liquor store it's a more convenient way of buying something that I know is going to be safer, and maybe that's the direction we're heading.
0: Yeah, so a lot to watch in this space. We'll have to see if the regulators get on the same page with this, and ultimately what that means for a lot of these companies. But, as always, we'll be sure to keep all of our listeners up to date. And that'll do it for this week's Industry focused Healthcare Show. We want to thank you for tuning in. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against some of the stocks mentioned. don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for his work behind the glass. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on.